Welcome to the podcast of Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Today's message was originally preached January 29th, 2012 by Sam Troyer, and it is entitled, Feelings That Bind Us Apart. The title that I've given the message is, Feelings That Bind Us Apart. It is a topic on the emotions that drive us in our relationships. We sing that little song, Bind Us Together, Lord, bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together, bind us together in love. Well, love binds us together. But there are other types of emotions, other types of feelings that can get into our relationships that tend to draw us apart, tend to put us in our own little worlds from which we look at our relationships and can create barriers uh, that keep us from enjoying meaningful relationships. Emotions are very, very powerful things. Some of you are emotional, some of you are not, um, or don't express emotions very much. Back in the early 80s, I went to Bible school with a young lady who was very emotional. Uh, Her name was Emily, and I don't remember her last name. My wife would know who she was. Um, Emily cried all the time. She just, she cried. She cried. When you talk to her, you'd, I don't know if she was a sad person. I, I don't know that she was, but she just cried. And um, you'd learn to expect that. She wore her emotions on her sleeve. And all of us are created with emotional parts to us, sides of us. Sometimes we wonder, are they, are they good, are they bad, are they otherwise? But we all deal with emotion. We deal with deep emotion. Some, some of us express it more than others. You know, with our technological world, the, the question are, you know, can these large computers, are they, are they able to emulate the human mind? Can they be like our human mind? And one of the things that I think they'll never be able to duplicate is that of emotion, the feelings that we have, the deep feelings, the caring that can be in our hearts as we relate to people as we relate to one another. God has given us a unique capacity for caring. Emotion can rule our lives, uh, or it can merely inform us. Um, I think that the latter is better than the having emotion to rule our lives. Emotion adds a lot of color to our lives. If you think of a word picture that would go along with emotion, it would be the difference between black and white and color. If you have something in color, it, it is more uh, vibrant, uh, more intense. Uh, for instance, we, you've heard the term, when we're blue, we're down and out. Right? You've heard the term green with envy. You've heard the ter- term that uh, I see red when I see red and I'm angry. Some of us who are maybe less mature can have our emotions just drive us and 
not only can our feelings be affected, but those around us are affected. The, way, the lives that we live, the people we live with are very much affected. When we're feeling good, the Christian life is good, marriage is good, we're excited about the Lord, and uh, everything is good. However, on the downside, when we're feeling low for some reason, we want to, we want to throw the towel in. You've heard the term, throwing in the towel. I think sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes we want to crawl up in a hole first and then throw the towel out through the opening. That's an emotional down. Some of us react to those emotional extremes with a clamp down on our emotions. We, we, we don't allow our emotions to affect us. And we just, we put an iron fist on those emotions and we say we're not going to do that. We're not going to be like that. And I think that can be harmful as well. I think we miss out on some of the really exciting things that emotion can bring for us. Billy Graham says emotion can be cut out of life. No intelligent person would think of saying let's do away with all emotion. Some critics are suspicious of any conversion that does not take place in a refrigerator. There are many dangers in false emotionalism, but that does not rule out true emotion and depth of feeling. Emotion may vary in religious experience. Some people are stoical and others are demonstrative. But the feeling will be there. There is going to be a tug at the heart. God is an emotional person. Um, we were taught, we are taught, and, and this, is, this is good, that we need to be like God. We need to emulate God's characteristics. We try to emulate his holiness, his, his, uh, his uh, caring, his justice, his love. But we kind of look at God, or maybe it came from our background, that we looked at God as a being a severe God, one who didn't smile a lot. But you know, God, the Bible tells us, is, is an emotional God. He, he laughs, he smiles, he gets angry. The Bible's clear about that. Psalm 711 says, God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. He is an emotional God. Not only in the negative sense, if we want to look at it that way, but also in a very positive sense. He says that he remembers, he has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. God is an emotional God. There's two important misconceptions that I want to deal with before I get into the heart of the message today about emotion, and that. The first one is, if I feel something, it must be true. You would say, no, I, I understand that. My emotions can, can tell me a lie. And, but we still react that way many times. We react to feelings, and we accept them as true without questioning them. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six says, He who trusts his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. What our feelings are telling us today may not be, in fact, true. We can soon get off 
if we listen entirely to our feelings. If I feel unloved, then I must be. Have you been there? Yeah, nobody loves me. Uh, If I feel like I'm worthless, I must be worthless. Those types of feelings. If I feel God has deserted me, then what's the use of praying? God has deserted me. Now, has God really deserted me? Of course not. If we stop and reason it out, we know that God has not deserted us. But we can feel that way. And a lot of the, 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 the teaching out in, in society is that we should follow our feelings. If we feel in love, we should get married. If we feel out of love, we should get a divorce. What is missing is that what the truth really is. We can't always trust our emotion. We need to recognize that our emotions can be deceptive. The truth is objective. It never changes. We can't always trust our emotion. The second misconception I want to deal with this morning is that I can't control my emotion. I cannot control. That's just the way I am. I can't control it. To some degree, our emotion, our emotions are a reaction or response to what happens to us. To some degree, they may be a natural response. Anger is a response often to hurt. Fear is a response to the unknown. But I believe that we have a lot of choice in whether we will dwell on that feeling or whether we will go and get the truth about the situation. Where is the truth? The truth is in the scripture. The truth is found in, in, in the Bible. If I feel that I'm unloved, I could go read 1 John 4, 9 to 11 that says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know, if I struggle with feeling loved, I can say that God doesn't love me. Nobody loves me. That's just not true. And we can dwell on the fact that we, of our feeling, or we can go and find out the truth and go with that. In our relation to God, there is also an emotional component. I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Verses 34 to 38, I want to read the great commandment, Matthew 22, verses 34 to 38. There is an emotional component in loving God, and it consists of three parts. Loving God is three parts according to our scripture here with our heart, with our soul, and with our mind. Let me read Matthew 22, verses 34 to 38. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
three components to loving God or worshiping God. The first is love the Lord with all your heart. And that it would be our emotion. Our heart is our emotion, our, our, our feelings. The second is with all your soul. That is our will, our chooser. Our... The third one is with our mind. That is our reasoning or our cognitive love. Love that is a thinking kind of love. So we include in our worship of God or our love of God those three components, cognitive, basically knowing God in our mind, there's a choice, the volitional type of love, and then there's also a, an emotional component in, in loving God. So emotions do place a, a, play a large portion in our relationships with God and with others. I think we need to, to draw a distinction between emotions and emotionalism. One is right and the other is wrong. Emotions are a natural outgrowth of understanding what God has done for us and responding to that. Emotionalism is the artificial part of, of showing emotion, of trumping up emotion. The central part to the message this morning that I'd like you to come away with is that our emotions should be anchored in a deep relationship with God. I'd like to you to visualize in your mind an anchor in God. There is an anchor in God, and from that anchor we have a rope or a, a, some type of tether and in that relationship with God, we are tethered. We are anchored. Our emotions, our feelings, our relationship gives us an anchor in God. And then as we relate to other people, that anchor keeps us steady. That anchor makes it so that our, other, our relationships with other people can be good, can be productive, aren't bouncing all over the place. He is unchanging. His attributes... The fact that he is our security, he is absolute truth, he is reliable and strong enough to provide the stability we need in emotionally charged relationships. This morning I want to look at four different areas that, four different emotions that can enter into our lives that can really mess with our relationships with other people and are very destructive in nature and how that we can overcome these destructive emotions by anchoring our lives in God in a really strong relationship with God the first one I want to deal with this morning is that of fear fear is a powerful emotion God-given, God intended for fear to be there to keep us from danger, to make us alert. Fear is that thing that generates within us adrenaline sometimes, or heightened awareness. 
But fear, when it becomes a very big part of our lives, can wreck our relationships with God and with others. I was surprised, I guess I shouldn't have been, the other evening, I say the other evening, a couple of months ago when Bob Stauffer was here and we had our prayer request evening. Things that we were going to pray for each other for for the next month and I hope for a lot longer than that. How many people expressed fear as being one of their needs? And if, I guess if I had spoken up, I didn't, it would have been one of mine. Fear in my life, uh, keeping me from the best that is there in relationships. We tend to fear what we don't understand and cannot control. Many people fear flying because they're not in control and they don't know what really goes on. They're much safer in the airplane than they are in their car, but they, they somehow feel like in their automobile they are, they are in control in some way of what's going on. The fear emotion is a liar many times. It tells us lies. Fear says that I'm the only one that's struggling. In that way, fear makes me lonely. Fear says if people would know me, they would reject me. Some will. God never will. God will not. Fear says if I keep things the same, I will be safe. If I don't make any waves... I'll be all right. Fear says if I ignore an injustice done to me, it will go away. I don't want to stir things up by confronting someone who has hurt me. Fear says if I give things to God, up to God, my life will be out of control, out of my control. In that way, fear binds us apart in our relationships. It paralyzes us. It causes us to hide. It prevents many beautiful relationships from developing and flourishing. It keeps us in a self-protection mode and keeps us, from running, keeps us running from love, from intimacy, from close friendships, even from God. I invite you now to turn to 1 John chapter 4 for a couple of verses there. What is the antidote to that powerful emotion that is, is fear? What can we do about that? Where can we go? What, what, it is, what is it that dissipates that fear that is so paralyzing, that's so binding, that keeps us in our own little worlds many times. 1 John 4, verses 17 and 18. I invite you to, turn, to follow along. I'm going to read from a paraphrase, uh, not actually a translation. It's Eugene's 
Peterson's The Message uh, paraphrase. It says, God is love. Verse 17, when we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we, will, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us, so that we're free of worry on Judgment Day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear, since fear is crippling. A fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is, is one not yet fully formed in love. The antidote for a life of fear, for that powerful emotion in our hearts and lives, is that of love. The antidote is love. It's not any of those other things that we might think it is, like security and and, and, and just knowing what's going to happen in our lives, all these other things that we think might take away fear, that is not the antidote for fear. Fear is conquered when we anchor, anchor our lives in God's love. I think one of the reasons... I have tended to be fearful is I have not accepted early on in life like I could have God's unconditional love for me. Basked in God's love, God's unconditional love, accepting God's good intention toward me, taking time to develop a love relationship with God, the antidote for fear in our hearts is accepting God's love. Anchoring our lives in the love of God. Because if we struggle with God's love in our relationship with God, we're going to struggle also with meaningful, loving relationships with others. That powerful emotion, fear, can slowly can slowly be lessened and move out of our lives and hearts as we bask in God's love, as we accept God's love into our hearts. The second harmful emotion I want to talk about this morning is that of jealousy. Some of you struggle with Jealousy in your relationships. Jealousy is defined as a lack of tolerance for unfaithfulness or resentment towards someone's successes, achievements, advantages in life, or relationships. Jealousy is when we feel that we deserve more than we have or more than others have. It focuses on ourselves and others in a competitive light rather than what God thinks of us. It is not part of God's plan for us. You don't need to turn to it, but I want to read a couple of verses out of James 3. It says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly 
natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Jealousy in our hearts destroys relationships. I unconsciously have done something. I want to try not to do that in the future, and that is when I walk into a room, I start comparing myself with other people. It's almost a natural thing. You walk into an area or you get into a relationship or you get into a church or you, wherever you are, you start comparing yourself with others. And many people live their lives that way, constantly in competition with others. You're going to lose in that game because there's always someone else who is better than you, who looks better, feels better, smells better, drives a nicer car, has a nicer house or a nicer family. There's always someone who is going to be better than you. But jealousy is where we compare ourselves with others and then we feel bad about it. Scripture is very hard on that concept. You know, jealousy brought on the first murder when Cain and Abel presented their sacrifices before God. Cain was jealous of Abel's. And God's response to, to Abel's sacrifice. Cain may have said, God loves Abel more than me. Abel is better than I am. Abel's trying to show me up. I can never please God or be good enough for God. So he killed his brother Abel. Jealousy is an emotional liar. Jealousy says we are not worthy or loved. That emotion is so much a lie. We somehow feel because in one, some area we are not as good as someone else, then that means that we are, we're not worth much. How can we overcome jealousy? And that is to, again, anchor our emotion, our feeling, our relationship in, in, in God, in, in a firm relationship with God. What does God think about me? What does God think about me? Does God care that I don't have a nice car? Of course not, he doesn't. Does God, is, is my relationship with God? God, God provides everything for me that I need. We can never measure up in some circles, but in God's eyes, if our relationship is strong, we're just fine. And we don't need to constantly be looking at other people and comparing ourselves with other people. Can we trust God's hand in our lives and not submit to jealousy? I'm moving rapidly for the sake of time. The first one was fear. It was jealousy. The next one I want to talk about is probably going to be a surprise to you. In a relationship, in an emotion that, that is deadly to relationship, and that is the emotion of lust. Lust is an emotion that is deadly in relationship. It's a desire. It's an intense desire or craving for self-gratification. Unhealthy desires and giving in 
to those desires that is lust. It's an uncontrolled desire of any kind. A desire that's not controlled. It can be the desire for power, for money, for fame, for another person. And it's based in selfishness. Lust can never be satisfied unless it's, unless it's acknowledged, unless it's repented of, unless we are willing to receive our satisfaction, our fulfillment from God. Lust cannot be overcome until we get sick and tired of what we experience as a result of, of that that unhealthy desire. Unless we realize that lust leads to emptiness, to loneliness, to depression, to shame, to guilt, among other things. Until we get tired of that and realize that all the striving that we have, this intense desire for things, this intense desire for, for other things that cannot satisfy us, even food or, or, or sex or any other thing that we desire so intensely. That is lust. And that, until we realize that we can never be satisfied with that, that will never satisfy. It is only as we get our satisfaction, our provision from God, our love, our affirmation, our fulfillment, our meaning, our acceptance must come from God. A strong relationship with God is what will anchor us, is what will anchor us and allow our other relationships to be good ones, be those that are as God intended. We can hide the lust from others for a period of time, but it will take its toll on our lives. I could share stories from scripture. I won't for the sake of time, but lust is a terrible, terrible emotion, a deadly emotion. James 1 says it is the grandmother of death. It says every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. It's a liar like the other emotions we talked about. Lie number one, all of my feelings are real and true. They're not. If I hide it, I'm safe. That's not true. What I crave and what I desire will satisfy my deepest needs. That's also not true. Your longing for security. Your longing for meaning in life for good relationships when taken, when taken outside of God's plan will never satisfy. What is the solution? It's to move from the temporary satisfaction of the cravings of the brain and body and fulfill the desires of the spirit and the deeper yearning of the soul. Repent of illicit desires. Admit, expose, and turn from them. 
turning to God for real satisfaction. And God has promised to provide for all of our needs. To allow God to meet our deep needs, that God-shaped opening in our lives. Finally, I want to speak just a bit about one other harmful emotion. That is the emotion of shame. Some of you struggle with shame. And it's very disruptive in your relationships. All of us, I think, would have at least one of these that I'm talking about as a real problem. A real thing that we need to work with. A real area in our lives that that can be so much better as we allow our relationship with God to dispel those, those um, lies that we believe. Shame is the painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper or ridiculous that I or someone else has done. Like other painful feelings, it is God-given to let us know that we have done something wrong, Where it becomes a real problem in our relationships is when we receive forgiveness and the shame doesn't go. When the shame continues and we can't get rid of it, we still feel ashamed. It's a form of self-loathing or a sense of self-loathing that can be in in our lives in which we just can't quite get over that shame. It's a relational nightmare. it can become a bondage that traps us because we then begin to self-punish. We we will hold ourselves in contempt and continue a form of self-punishment. I don't know if that hits home with you or not, but I think it's very real. When we somehow can't can't receive God's forgiveness and we continue with shame in our hearts, uh, we begin to, to punish ourselves, to flagellate ourselves, to... To somehow to try to ease that shame. <clears throat> Acceptance and love is hard to be accepted in our lives when there's that shame. We feel like we've got to hide somehow. Shame is a liar. Shame says, I can't expose the way I really am to God, even to God. He will not accept me. God does accept us. He knows us. He knows perfectly the way we are. Shame says the messages I tell myself are true. I am so bad that God can't heal me. I'm worse than others. The things in my past are unique. Others do not have the struggles that I do. Shame says other people will never accept a person like me. Some some won't. Those who are important will accept us. Again, what is the antidote to that kind of harmful emotion? It is, again, a relationship with God. Understanding that God has completely uh, forgiven me for my past that I don't have to win approval of people. God is the one that I need to be concerned about, ultimately. 
our security in God grows as it does, it becomes easier for others to accept us as well. We are all damaged in one way or another. There's not one of us that doesn't need forgiveness. A solution to shame is like other unhealthy emotions. Turn our eyes toward God. Focus on God. See how he is. Trust his forgiveness and his mercy. When you get a little time alone, I would encourage you to read Psalm 25. I was going to read it this morning. I won't for the sake of time. It speaks a lot about shame and how David overcame shame, how he asked God to help him in this regard. What can we go away with today? The encouragement I'd like to leave with you is to anchor your emotional, your feelings, your relationship in God. Understanding that God will meet your needs. That God accepts you. That God has forgiven you. That God loves you. And as we anchor, as we anchor firmly, firmly, firmly in that relationship with God, there is a certain freedom, and I'll testify to it. There is a certain freedom that comes into our lives that makes us nicer people to be with. We are going to relate more easily with other people when we're not so worried about what they think. We're not so worried about what they will do to me because my relationship with God is strong. And... That type of person is a pleasure to be with. That type of person is easy to be with. That type of person will, will have good, strong relationships on a horizontal level. Trusting in God for his provision, his forgiveness, and his care. That's my prayer for myself and for each one of you. God bless you. Shall we have a song? You've been listening to Feelings That Bind Us Apart, a message by Sam Troyer. This podcast is brought to you from the Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. You can find us online at BethelMennoniteOnline.org. Thanks for listening.